number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show, where interesting, intriguing, and exciting people engage in unscripted exchanges of ideas, stories, and perspectives. It's not an interview. It's a powerful conversation. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Stuart Knight Show, where we are going to help you perhaps boycott some of your old ways of thinking and lead you to a new way of seeing the world around you. And more than anything, just always hoping to inspire you to really re-look at your relationship with life and see if there maybe is something that you can do to bring yourself closer to what makes you happy. Uh, And to help me do that today, I am so excited. I've got a really cool dude who I've recently met who I just think is uh, the bee's knees. His name is Mark Sakamoto. He's got a hell of a, a bio. I mean, he is a lawyer by training. He's enjoyed a rich and varied career. I mean, he began by promoting live music, which is quite different than what he does today. Um, and now that led him to work with several international acts. And on top of that, he's worked at a Canadian broadcaster and served as a senior political advisor. And if that's not enough, he's uh, also an entrepreneur and an investor in digital health and media. And on top of that, he chairs the board of the Ontario Media Development Corporation. Uh, and some of you might know Mark uh, as a writer as well, because he wrote an incredible book called Forgiveness, A Gift from My Grandparents. And that, you know, not a bad book. It won the CBC Canada Reads 2018 edition and once again became a number one national bestseller so and on top of that he's also a dad he lives with his wife and two children in the great city of toronto where i live so mark welcome to the show hey thanks Stuart. thanks for having me man my pleasure i know you are a busy guy and it's always uh one of those things for me i feel so humbled to get uh individuals like yourself on the show because uh you know i'm i know i'm you're squeezing me into a crazy life you were just telling me before we started <laughs> recording that you were Last week in Quebec City, Cancun, Mexico City, Toronto. I think you said Montreal as well. What the hell were you doing? What? Why were you all <laughs> <laughs> Are you are you a drug dealer? Are you a smuggler? Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, the 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 company that I I'm the executive vice president for Think Research is a is a global healthcare software company. So it really takes me um, around the world, either visiting clients, as I was doing in Quebec City and and Montreal. Um, where and in Quebec City at the time, the snow was so thick. There were people shoveling, like on every fifth roof, somebody was shoveling their roof, not their sidewalk, their roof. Oh, really? And then, and then I went down to Mexico City for some um, a prospective uh, investor and and uh, some client meetings there. And so I think I had like uh, goodness. A sixty-five degree shift in uh, in temperature in uh, oh, in a few a few hours. So it was a pretty incredible week. <laughs> that's that's, that, that's that's fun. And do you, do you like the travel component of your job? Um, for, well, for sure, I, I like I like getting out and meeting uh, new people in their own um, culture and, and their own environment. Um, I, as you mentioned, I do have two young daughters, and that time is extremely fleeting. I know that. Uh, uh, you know, 18 years or 20 years is, is not a long time, uh, really. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, for, for most of those kinds of trips, 
um, you know, if I can, I'll, uh, I'll get, I'll get home as, as quickly as possible, take the red eye home or whatever the case may be. Right on. So, so when you think about the life you've built now, I mean, you've got, I mean, I, I, I would imagine you feel the same way I do. You look back and you're like, holy crap, when did this happen? Uh, <laughs> right. You've got young kids, you've got a, a family, you've got uh, a big business. Um, you travel around the world. When you look back at all of it and you, and you see that varied, um, lifestyle you used to have you were in with politics and with music and with uh broadcasting does it seem kind of crazy for you to be where you are today or does it seem like it was just a natural transition to move from one thing to the other yeah i think that you know the the most important determinant of what happens to you in life and and where you get to and what kind of life you live it's a total crapshoot it's who your parents are Mm. And, um, you know, uh, my mom ultimately, uh, passed away of, of alcoholism, but, um, when she was healthy, she was an incredible mother. And my dad is just an absolutely, it, it was like growing up with Yoda. He was just so incredible. And they, and they both really, um, told me as a kid and I was, you know, young and naive enough to believe it. And I still do, um, you know, they, they would tell me on a daily basis, you can do whatever you want. As long as you put your mind to it, you can do whatever you want. Right. And, and so I think that I grew up, you know, really um, believing that. And, and I also grew up under the, this, you know, this vast prairie sky. I grew up in the Canadian uh, prairies in southern Alberta. And so, you know, I think that there's something, you know, that old saying, geography is destiny. I think that living underneath that sky as a kid kind of made you feel unbounded. Like you, you could really, um, it, it almost in some ways forced you to be optimistic because, because all you had to do is look up and see this vast sky. Like there were no boundaries mm. you could see as literally as the, as your eye could see. And so, so, you know, uh, uh, moving into adulthood, I never did, um, my heart uh, never really changed from that little kid that just sort of believed, well, I, you know, I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And uh, I don't want to be glib about it. There's, there's lots of hard work and, and, and planning and thinking about things. But mm-hmm. I, I have spent a lot of my life sort of cannonballing into these, the deep ends of these pools, whether it be music or politics or, or writing a book or whatever the case may be. And, um, Always just being excited to see if I could sink or swim, you know. <laughs> right. Now, was it a case though? Because it's funny that I, I listening to you speak reminds me of when I was a kid and I used to um, live in a small town. I remember going and sitting at the lake. Uh, it was Lake Huron, and of course, one of the biggest lakes, I guess, probably in the world. And I'm yeah. looking across uh, the lake, and and you couldn't see, of course, the other side. And I always remember just imagining and knowing that there was something on the other side, and and thinking about what it would like to be like to go on the other side of that lake, and then the other side of any ocean or any long river. And it did kind of cause my mind to expand and to, and to 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 dream. And to me, that's one of the greatest things that that you can have in your childhood. Um, however, growing up, there's those things that, uh, do get in the way in the sense that, you know, having great parents that tell us that we can do anything is one thing, but we start kind of going through the bullshit of life, if you will. And sometimes we start thinking, I don't know, can I really pull it off in the industry or can I really make it in, in politics? Did you have those moments as well? Well, I think that, you know, I, I think that the, I guess maybe I challenged the, the, part of the premise of the question. Like, I think that the bullshit that you start to 
come up against in life um, uh, really can be imagined. I mean, I, in fact, I think most of the time it is imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your own bullshit. Like, um, it's your own, um, th- those voices in your head that say, oh, you know, maybe you can't do this or somebody, you know, somebody is doing it a little bit better or, um, somebody thinks you can't do it. That's, uh, it, it, it's only bullshit if you internalize it, if you actually believe it and then walk away from it. Um, so, so I think that, you know, so long as, um, you know, I think if, if you look at most folks that have that have um, been successful, resilience is a huge part of um, of their uh, personality. And, and resilience is even those you know that emotional resilience of well, that person across the table doesn't think I uh, uh, I can do it, or that professor you know gave me a C plus and doesn't think I should be in political science. Um, only once you internalize it, uh, just like po- the positive stuff too. Your parents mm-hmm. could be, hey, you know, you can do anything. If you don't internalize it, then you never capture it. Right. Um, so you know, so you can. It, it cuts both ways. Um, so so for sure, lots of people. I'm I'm sure sort of. Uh, while I was growing up, thought, oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this or can't do this, or you're just, you know, you're from Medicine Hat, Alberta. How could you, you know, blah 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 blah. Right. Um, I've just never, I kind of just never have listened to that, and um, I think I'm better off for it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think you raise, raise a great point. Is on both sides of the uh, of the equation, whether it's positive or negative, it always comes down to whether or not you believe it. And, exactly. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, Glenn, said to me recently. He says, "Isn't isn't it sad to know that so many people will die?" And never see themselves as being as amazing as everyone else around them saw them as. Yeah, and yeah. It's... No, that's a good. That's a really good point. I mean, I think that. I, this is going to sound very dark to your to your um, audience, maybe, but I I I really think of my death on a daily basis, and I don't mean like the concept of dying. I mean like, like picturing myself on my deathbed, gasping my last breaths of air. And, and I think that like, you know, if you put yourself on your deathbed every day, it really focuses your mind on what, like what matters and like what really matters. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so while it might sound dark, I, I think if you do that, if you think about your actual personal death on a daily basis, you'll find so much light in your life. Like it does the exact opposite for me anyway. You, you know, I'm exa- because I'm the exact same way. I, 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 I'm just so amazed at how so many people are so afraid to give consideration to their death. It's, it's such a liberating experience. It, it frees you from being uh, in, in shackles of, of what society puts on you. Because if you were to die uh, tomorrow, and if you knew that, we all know we would just, like, you know, we wouldn't give a shit about anything, about the, the, <laughs> the stupid stuff. We would only care about the things that matter the most, as you say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, time really is the only thing that you can't buy more of. Like once you're out, you're out. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life uh, or what your bank account reflects, mm-hmm. you, you know, when it's gone, it's gone. And so, you know, thinking about death on a daily basis really does, uh, I think, at least for me, show you how precious 
time is and what you what you do with it because you know like i don't believe in the pearly gates i don't believe in yeah. life after death i don't believe in i think you know sort of heaven is a construct that makes us feel good about uh, you know s- safer about about dying but i think that if you if you don't believe that then it's up to like it it puts the 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 the, the onus of creating your own heaven on your own shoulders. Like you got to do it right now. You only have like on a good run, maybe we'll live to be 120. I don't know by the time we get there. Right. Uh, I mean, you're 22, so who knows? You got longer, but uh, <laughs> you got to create, <laughs> you got you got to create your, your heaven as best you can. Um, yeah. Right well, now. I'm with you. And you know, I've, I've often found it interesting that when, when religious people have felt sorry for me um, and have told me right to my face that they feel bad, that I'm not religious and that I don't believe and have a faith. Um, that I'm missing out on, of course, what they believe happens in the afterlife, but also just um, this idea that somehow I'm going to be forgotten. And I am the one who actually ends up feeling much more sorry for them. I'm thinking, because you have such faith that you have this eternal life in some other imagined um, sinosphere, that you really take the onus off of yourself of being amazing today because, well, you know what? Why bother? I mean, God's going to take care of me and I'm just going to, I've got thousands and millions in eternity to do it. So I don't have to worry about it today. I'm like, wow, what a letdown. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to, um, let myself get off the hook on that, on that regard. I think that, you know, and and I mean, at the end of the day, it, if, if I'm wrong, it's sort of like the reverse Pascal's wager. Pascal was this philosopher that said, well, you might as well believe, and act like you believe, because if it's real, then, you know, you're, you, you'll win the bet and you'll go to heaven. But I sort of think of it the other way. Like if, if there actually is a God and, and you're a, a pretty decent person, you're, he probably doesn't, or she probably doesn't just think, well, only, um, only a certain section of the world yeah, religion right. is going to, is going to get in. You didn't wear a condom when you were 16. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck, buddy. Good luck. Can you imagine if that was the way to get into heaven Tell or me. not? Yeah, that's right. Whether you wore a condom when you were 16. I know. I know. It's like, well, God, I can't even keep up with it. Or if you ate fish on a Friday or I can't remember. So, so, so when you think about this life though, you have created, so you've, you've got a big business. I mean, you, I was just asking you before the call how how big your office is. You were saying for forty thousand square feet. I just laugh at that, right? Because I think about you know so many people like myself who are entrepreneurs and have been successful as an entrepreneur. But then you move into that area. It's like oh yeah, I've got like a couple hundred employees. You're not even like I don't even know what you call it. To, to me, I'm an entrepreneur. You are like I don't know an entrepreneur on crack. Like you're just <laughs> you're on a whole new level with having a couple hundred employees. You know when you think about that life that you've created. How, like, where, where do you make sure that happiness is playing a role in the midst of all the stuff that you need to do on top of like being a dad and being a boss and going to these meetings and getting investors? Like where, where, how do you essentially, um, make sure happiness is on your agenda? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, um, the, the, the biggest thing that I've always wanted in my life is to be in the driver's seat. And because I think of my life or my, you know, my work um, kind of as a body of work. So, you know, there's lots of projects that I, I really want to undertake and some are creative and some are entrepreneurial. Um, and I'm happiest. What makes me happy at the end of the day is is being um, being my own force in my life, like 
I am creating the life that I want to create. And so, so because I've sort of taken that viewpoint, I've sort of ruthlessly cut out all the things that I don't want to do, or I'm not great at, or whatever the case may be. And so, you know, so I really try and take a, a, a much kind of broader, uh, approach, um, to happiness. Uh, every day, I mean, I wake up and I have no bloody idea whether it's Sunday or Tuesday. And <laughs> for the most part, it doesn't really matter to me. Right. Um, uh, you know, whether, uh, I mean, I'm generally thrilled about, um, you know, the people that I'm doing business with, uh, I, I, I very much, uh, like and trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and obviously my, my family are, are you know, are, are, are my, are my treasure. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think that because I've tried to, um, the, the goal early on was to, um, be your own kind of, uh, master of your own destiny to the extent that you can, life happens and right. <laughs> events happen. But, um, um, and, and so, so I've made my own bed, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And if, if I'm not happy in it, then it's my own damn fault. And I have to do something to change it. So, you know, I want to go a little further with that because I think you said something really interesting and it reminded me of a situation I had a couple of weeks ago, I think a couple of weeks ago. And I, I'd come home from lunch and my partner said to me, oh, how was your lunch with so-and-so? And I said, oh, it was, really, it was nice. It was really great, um, but I'll never do it again. Yeah. And she said, what? Well, that seems really dramatic. And I said, no, it's nothing wrong with the lunch at all. I said, uh, as usual, it was um, pleasant. He's always yeah. very nice. I said, but... I realize, back to life being short, I just cannot go to a a 90-minute sit-down with somebody where I walk away and am never any different because of it. Um, And I don't mean profoundly different. Like, I learn nothing. I don't don't laugh a lot. I don't um, feel like I'm being engaged. I don't... It's it's like... And it sounds selfish on some level, and it sounds almost uh, elitist, like everyone who gets to be my friend has to serve me on some level. And, and, I, and I, I don't mean it to be that way. I mean, consistently with, with some people, you'll find that you're like, wow, you know, I'm only here because you're a nice person and nice isn't good enough because I need to know that we're going to, at the end of this conversation, maybe, I don't know, support each other in some interesting way or that we're mm-hmm. going to explore a new idea that we both never considered. Or, or you know what, I have some friends that that will never happen and but you know what? They're hilarious, and that's what mm-hmm. I get. It's just funny. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So so I really do deliberately look to um, when I've seen the writing on the wall. I have to eliminate certain things from my life, and sometimes it might be where I live. Sometimes it might be a certain kind of way I travel, and sometimes it's friendships. And and, and there has to be a consistency. It's not like I have one bad lunch and the person's gone. Sure, um, sure, sure. So so how do you actively do that in your own life? Like, wh- like what do you identify? Like, because it seems like you're very deliberate in the way you live your life. What do you identify that has to be eliminated as a way of bringing yeah. yourself happiness? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think that well, first off, I think that there are. 25 people that are looking at their calendar to see who ate lunch with you 12, <laughs> two, two weeks ago, wondering if, you, I know. <laughs> if they like... just got dumped on. <laughs> or checking their ID to see if their name is so-and-so. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Um, so, I mean, I think that you could take what you just said and extrapolate that into a whole bunch of different things. Like, and it's not just people, it's, 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 it's items. It, I mean, it's relationships. You have a, re- you have a relationship with life, whether it's, mm-hmm. 
you know, the couch that you're sitting on right now, you're in a relationship with it in, in, in a way that the, the people that you interact with, the media that you consume, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that there are lots of, um, particularly when I was writing um, Forgiveness and and I, the company at that time, Think Research, was only about 35 people. Mm-hmm. And we were doing, my business partner, Sachin Agarwal, and I were doing a lot of international travel, trying to open up uh, markets in uh, the U.S. and the EU and, and um, the, GC, uh, the, the Gulf states the, um, in, in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And so I really couldn't. We only had 35 people. Like I had like, I don't know, probably 15 hats at that point in time uh, with respect to the office. And so I really couldn't take like a leave of absence to go write a, to go write a book. So I really had to like ring out like every single moment of time had to be um, extremely valued uh, because I was on the clock. I mean, I literally had a, 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 a 12 months to write this book and do all the things I also wanted to do with respect to uh, the business and my family and all that sort of stuff. Right. And so, you know, and any, this is a very valuable exercise for anybody to do, I think, because I, 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 I really ruthlessly looked at my day and what I was doing with it. And there were large swaths where you literally could just cut them out and not notice it, not notice it at all. It didn't make a single impact on your life. Mm-hmm. And yet, you, you know, you found yours, like I found myself with, I don't know, probably 24 more hours a week, probably right. by just doing, you know, some, pr- some pretty simple things. Yeah. Um, and, and some of those things were, you know, like just don't watch TV, like literally don't watch TV. No. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that you, you should never watch TV, but, but just getting rid of that, um, you know, a little bit about what you just said, you know, some, some folks that you might, you know, go grab an after work beer with for no real reason. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, losing that sort of the, the low lying fruit that, that takes a lot of time. Um, absolutely for me made for a much more impactful, uh, what turned out to be a year and a half. That's, that's such a great way of looking. You know, I think about this when I am on the road speaking at different corporate events. And for that reason, I just cannot stay on top of my email. And I come back, let's say, and finally it's Friday. I'm like, all right, here we go. And you open your inbox and you got a gazillion emails. And what I find interesting is, is that emails that would normally get a response from me, had it been a week where I wasn't as busy, all of a sudden, it is impossible for me to expect that I'm going to get through those emails in that day if I do respond. So I'm like, and all of a sudden, it's, it's this, this um, the filter by which you get a response uh, has become that much more stringent. And I'm like, nope, delete, nope, delete. That does not deserve a response. That doesn't need one. Like, I've got the information. And it doesn't make a difference. Like you said, it really, you find yourself, um, the, the, those people still are, you know, they're still doing business with you and everything's still okay. Uh, not everyone needs a response, right? Absolutely. I think that that's, I mean, I don't know why, uh, I mean, I don't know why people think they need to respond to every email they get or mm-hmm. every, you know, I mean, we, we live in, a, in an incredibly distracted world. I mean, it's an Instagram, it's an Instagram world full mm-hmm. of kind of, uh, fleeting, um, happiness and, and, f- you know, fleeting thoughts and a lot of it's just not real or it's fluff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, any audience, like any person should just try to avoid it. Yeah. Avoid it for, or try, avoid it for a week mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, avoid sort of like useless 
emoji text uh, conversations. Right. Pursue silence. Yes. Sit, sit, and you know, uh, like really look in a loved one's eyes, or really go deep on a person or an issue. And you know, it might be uncomfortable if you haven't interacted with that person or that issue for some time, but you'll f- you'll feel better. You'll feel happier. No um, question. And it's it's not the it's like it's a it's a it's a it's a sustained happiness. It's a real, like it's a real happiness. It's not the, the cheap shit. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, I'm reading a great book called make time right now. And mm. the, the two authors of this book talk about, um, the big thing that they did was they just, uh, eliminated all the apps on their phone that were distractions for them as a, as a test and apps, for example, um, you know, news apps that you could see like the latest, uh, top headlines or, um, apps like Instagram where you could flip through and see pictures of your friends. And when they eliminated the apps and they said on some cases, they even went as far as eliminating the app on their phone. That is their email app. And to me, when I was reading that, I was like, no way, how could you ever do that? And they said, once again, just how quickly you can adjust and your, and your body says and your brain aligns itself with a new way of thinking. And the amount of time that they saved themselves was incredible. Um, now, <laughs> l- l- let me ask you this. So you, you, you just referenced about how back in the day when you had 35 employees and you're uh, jet-setting around the world trying to basically get people wanting to invest or to become clients um, – what when you were doing that like what was that like at that time what, what were some of the risks that you felt that or you knew that you were taking like were you finding yourself ever on planes going oh my god like, this 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 then you know i'm going to london england right now and i really need this person to sign a contract yeah or, yeah exactly, was exactly. That, was that the, the big the big risk uh is uh is bankruptcy i mean that's <laughs> right yeah that's um was that real for you, you know, it, any entrepreneur, absolutely. Uh, every entrepreneur that you know, I mean, you 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 know, you're an entrepreneur when you you, you know when you pay your an employee's salary on your visa. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, you you don't really have a, a a plan B. I've never really had plan Bs. Um, <laughs> I've it. really just sort of said, uh, it, you know, for me anyway, I've the, I've made two big bets on life's table, and I I chose early on in life, uh, my life partner, Jade, and uh, not that long after, uh, chose my business partner, Sachin, and just mm-hmm. sort of, um, went, you know, swung for the fences, uh, from, from there. And so I've never had a plan B. Right. And, um, at 35, uh, people, yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're going contract to contract and, um, and, uh, you know, every new person is like another weight on your shoulder to, to, um, you know, you, you start to feel, um, you start to feel the weight of the company and the lot and, and by weight of the company, I mean the lives that are in the company, mm-hmm. um, you know, their livelihoods are, 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 um, attached to the, the well-being of the company. So, so when you go on a, on a trip and you're, you're pitching, um, you know, uh, some sort of investment, whether that be a client facing investment or, uh, or, um, uh, an actual, you know, uh, venture investment. Um, you, it focuses your mind to do your, to do your best job, mm-hmm. uh, and really give it your all because it's not just, um, you know, your, uh, your family who's riding on it. It's, it's, uh, it, hundreds of yeah, 35 people employees. That's hundreds of people that are, that are, you know, reliant on at 250, that's thousands of people that are right. reliant. And so you, you really feel that on a, on a daily basis, which is, um, 
um, well, it's a privilege to get to the point where you do feel that, I suppose. I guess so. Well, now, what did you learn um, when you look back? What could you say that you learned or can say that you were good at during that time? Like, what, what can you say is like, if you had to point to a certain attribute or a certain character trait, whatever mm. it might be, that, that made you get through those times where you no longer had to pay employees on your visa and you, and you built <laughs> a, big, a big business? Well, um, uh, you know, I mean, I think from the from the company's perspective, the Think Research is a healthcare software company that that does uh, that sort of helps doctors and nurses um, uh, at the point of care, and and all of our applications are cloud based. So, from a company perspective, um, you know, we really bet the farm on the on the cloud. We bet the farm on big data, um, and we, we bet the farm on um, really putting our 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 applications in the doctor's shoes, not in sort of what health. Like we really bucked the trend on most healthcare IT companies. You know, when we were when we were doing lots of bets like seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And those bets were good, solid bets. Like, you know, that's, that's the way that what we thought would happen, it, it, we're seeing happen. So, so from that perspective, from a company perspective, it was, it was, um, it was just sort of good planning and, and you know, good luck, I, I, right. I suppose. Would you say trusting, th- was, was, was there a lot of trust in yourself or was it more like, oh, is it more intellectual? Sure. No, no, no. It was, I mean, it was, well, you, you try and be as intellectual as possible because you're dealing with, uh, you know, millions of dollars of other people's money and, and lots of, um, lots of employees. So, so you're never sort of quote unquote winging it, Mm -hmm. but, but everything's a calculated bet. And and you net, like if if anybody tells you they know what's going to happen, they're flat out lying to you. Um, and, and so, you know, we thought that, um, healthcare would, would go, would move similar to other industries, mm-hmm. even though a lot of people, uh, both clients and investors, um, or potential investors didn't think so. And so you hear a lot of no's like that's what, you know, the, we started this conversation talking about the bullshit that could seep in. Mm-hmm. We heard a lot of that. And right. if we internalized that, I'd, we'd be nowhere near, uh, where we are today. We probably would have sold six years ago at a, and, and, you know, uh, or, you, or gone on. Well, you probably heard it from also not not just investors, but you heard it probably from very smart people who you admired. Totally, totally. clients, right? Uh, clients who I needed there. You know, we 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 heard on several occasions. Yes, we'll give you the contract. We'll you know, but but we have to do it this way, and we you know we can't do it in the cloud or whatever the case may be. And we said, even though we were desperate for the money, we we said no because. Ultimately, we wanted to get to the point where we are now, where we're a, a, a big data company, and, and we couldn't do that if we weren't utilizing cloud-based technologies. So, you know, so when proof, you know, for us, you, you know, proof was in the pudding back uh, six, seven years ago. I'm glad we made the choices that we made, although it, it was very scary at the time. There were a lot of nights where, you know, I'm just up all night and, and I'm knowing my business partner was too. And sometimes we just, we'd sit in our office all day long, trying to get to a solution, not find one, go home to our families and, uh, and then just call each other at like two o'clock in the morning. There was tons of times where I'd, we were just sitting, doing the exact same thing that we're doing at 2 PM, only 2 AM <laughs> trying to figure out the way forward. So yeah. no, those are, those are some nice sleeps, huh? Those are, those are some great, great, great nights. <laughs> hardly, yeah. hardly restless at all. You know, yeah. I always get a kick out of it when I meet somebody who will say that they have this big idea for a, for a business and, 
and they'll say, you know what, I, w- I would do it. I would totally do it. But the only thing is, is that I'm going to have to take out a $10,000 loan. And I'm like, yeah. And, and they're like, yeah, I mean, well, what if I lose that? What if I lose $10,000? And it's just, I mean, I understand that from their perspective, it's, it, it's, it's the same as maybe a million dollars to someone else. But, but I, I remember when I was 28 years old, I was $250,000 in debt. And, mm-hmm. and, and I was literally, I was having a conversation with a bankruptcy lawyer. And I thought, mm-hmm. this is it. Because I was going through a big court case this, at the same time. And, um, and, and looking back at that, and when someone says, you know what, I can't even imagine taking a $10,000 loan out. It's hard to have compassion or a great deal of sympathy. You're kind of like, dude, I would take the $10,000 out. And then if you lose it, go get another $10,000. It's like, you're, you're, you'll make this happen. You'll figure it out. Um, and, and don't think that that is a big enough number to stop you from doing this. Yeah, I mean, I, what would I say to that? I think that, I think that um, you know, the most important thing that somebody can do for themselves is to be quiet in their own, with their own self. Mm-hmm. And, and just really, because when you're really quiet with yourself um, over a sustained period of time, um, you learn about a lot about yourself and and what what really is going to drive your contentment, your sustained happiness. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's totally, you know, as it turns out, as it should, it's totally different strokes for different folks. Like some people want X, some people want Y. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's contentment and that's, and that's perfect. Like, you know, you know, we talked a little bit about finding your own heaven, like in your, in your own lifetime on this planet. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, for me, um, the, 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 my biggest fear is laying on my deathbed thinking that I didn't swing for those, um, for those, for those things that I really wanted to, that I didn't take out that, that loan. But for me, losing the 10,000 wouldn't be the end of the world either. Mm-hmm. And, and for some people it is. So like, I think that, you know, uh, you know, there, there's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, having a, you know, sort of a, 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 a less risky life as long as you're happy with it, the, the, the real, um, uh, tragedy is if you wanted to, you really wanted to swing for the fences and you never did. Cause then you, then that's like 100% failure, right? Yeah. Because you didn't even try, like you didn't even give it a shot. Right. Like that's, that's the, I think that's the, the worst thing that, uh, that you can do. Yeah, it's way better than like that's way worse than failing. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and that's and that's what I was getting at. It's like this idea where I'll see somebody who will say, um, like for example, I know a guy who's who's just he's been in a in a in a in a a negative space in his relationship with his partner for for well over ten years now, and 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 they've tried everything, and his um his his thing is that. He doesn't want to leave the relationship for all the reasons that we all can understand, which is, you know what, I don't want to be alone or I don't want to be um, having to live in separate households while we have a child. I don't want to be um, maybe having to get into the dating scene and, and possibly not meet somebody. And I get that. That is real, and I, I have complete compassion for that. In the same way that somebody who wants to take a $10,000 loan out, I get that maybe you come from a family where there wasn't a lot of money, or maybe it's a case where you saw your parents lose money, you saw how much it hurt them. Those are real things. But as you say, if you look into the future and there's something that you know would really bring you great joy, and you're going to let a, some pain stop you from doing it, then to me... You, you, you have missed out on life. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, for sure the, the, what, the, what is absolutely true is if you look at anybody who's like really killing it in, in, in what they, who, who's exceptional at what they're doing, whether that be a U.S. Marine or a downhill skier or a scientist or whatever the case may be, doesn't matter what, what, uh, topic or genre we're talking about, mm-hmm. the, that person has failed <laughs> way, way, way. Like that person has failed a million times at doing what she's doing, what you're watching them do. Um, like there's no way around, uh, being, uh, really good at what you're doing without failing. Like you got to fail and get up and fail and get up and fail and get up. And, Mm -hmm. and as long as you're doing that fast, like fail fast, get up, dust yourself off, move on. Right. Uh, that's the only, like, that's the only way, uh, that's the surefire way to, that doesn't mean you're, you're going to succeed, but, um, you'll never get to, uh, excellence without, without significant amounts of failure. Right, right. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. You yeah, it's for a ton to be a winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate to, I hate to, you know, be the bearer of bad news. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Sakamoto. He's an inspirational speaker on the side. <laughs> no, it's the truth. It's absolute truth. I always remember uh, Anthony Robbins talking about that. He says, you know, in order to succeed, you have to have good judgment, and in order to have good judgment, you have to have experience. And the only place you can get experience is from failure. Totally. Right. And I thought, yeah, it just it was a mathematical equation that, that one leads you to the other. Now, so speaking of which, though, here you are, you're this guy who is an entrepreneur and you, and you dabbled in and all these different areas and you've been successful in music and in broadcasting. Um, but then all of a sudden in the midst of all this, you decide, oh, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And I mean, how often, by the way, I mean, I'm sure you hear this all the time. I do, too. As an author, people, everyone wants to write a book. I, it seems like everybody I meet says, oh, my God, I, I so badly want to write a book one day. And, of course, I'm same as you. Do it. Absolutely. You'll love the process. Yeah. Even, if, even if not, you don't sell one copy. It'll, it'll be such a great um, experience of, of writing. Um, but with that said, though, you, know, you, you, you didn't have, let's say, a long list of uh, 10 bestsellers in your back pocket. So when you went through that process, where did you fail in the beginning as a writer? And what did you learn to become a better writer? Right. Good. Good question. I think, um, I mean, I, I completely fell into um, writing the book. I was in, of all places, I was in Kuwait City. <laughs> and um, a, f- a friend of mine wrote, the, so the Japanese government apologized in 2010 to Canadian POWs for the way that the Japanese military treated Canadian POWs during the Second World War. And a friend of mine, uh, Aaron O'Toole, he, he's a, 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 a conservative MP actually, in, uh, but a, it was a law school buddy of mine, mm-hmm. uh, knew my family story and wrote uh, John Stackhouse, who was running the Globe at the time, and said, you know, John, our mutual friend Mark has this crazy family story. You should let him write. And and so John let uh let me. John published a, a, an, a, an essay uh, in, in the Globe and Mail, and then Harper Collins called, and um, I thought I was going in to meet like a junior editor, and I opened up the door, and um, and there were like fifteen executives in the room, and uh, so <laughs> so so they were sort of kicking my tires, and I I remember coming home that that afternoon and coming up the stairs. Jade had uh, one. Our, our oldest daughter in her arms and uh, pregnant with our second. And I said, I think, I think I got a book deal. And she was, <laughs> she was, joy was not the first um, emotion that she felt. 
Um, and so, so I, I, you know, in, in thinking about writing, um, you mentioned that I, I, I have done uh, work in, in federal politics. I was working with Michael Ignatieff who, mm. or I had worked with Michael Ignatieff and, um, he, and he has written a book or two. So I, I, I asked, you know, I sought out his, um, his advice and, and, you know, he gave me two great pieces. I mean, he was very, politics was over. He didn't need to help me out or do anything. And mm-hmm. he, uh, invited, invited me to, to France and I hung out with him there. And, and, wow. y- you know, he said, listen, I'm not going to tell you about your story. That's your story. But I would say two things. Um, he told me a lot more, but the, but the two big pieces of advice were go like, go as deep as you possibly can when, like when you think you've hit bedrock on explaining, you know, the room or the emotion or whatever the case may be, go deeper, like sink as deeply into the story as you can. And mm-hmm. so that was really great sort of, um, emotional advice. And then the second thing was just tactical, but to your point of, you know, how to get a book done, you right. just put your ass in the seat, yeah. ass in seat, bum in seat, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's no, um, there's no magic bullet. There's no, as, as with anything, really, there's no quick fix. Uh, there's no get rich quick scheme. You just gotta, you gotta do the work and go through the, the process. So I really, um, I was really grateful for, for his, um, insight uh, early on in the process. And, and how did you feel though, when you would sit down at that, uh, computer or maybe pen and paper mm. and, and you'd be writing, did you find yourself, um, was there, were there moments where you felt like, you know, an imposter where you're thinking, oh my God, like these guys at HarperCollins, do they even know, like, I've not done this before? I mean, or was it more like, you know what, I'm, I got this. Yeah, I, I think that um, sometimes, uh, and it doesn't happen all the time, but um, sometimes in life you really get, uh, get into the flow. And, and, and by that I mean you, you sort of, you almost lose yourself in what you're doing. And that was one of the times in my life where I really, uh, I lost myself almost completely in what I was doing. And sometimes I felt like, I mean, you know, not, you know, not for the whole year or anything like that, but there were big chunks of time, like weekends at a time where I sort of felt almost out of body. Like it was, um, uh, somebody else or, or, or some other kind of power or energy was, was helping. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, that was, it was an incredible, um, feeling. It was also kind of, um, kind of lonely in a way. Most, um, most professional endeavors that I've, that I was on or that I did before were kind of group, um, uh, group based. So Mm -hmm. putting on a concert or politics or Mm -hmm. law, you know, they're all, you're, you know, you're sort of always, with a group of people and writing, you know, you're just sort of always in your head. And I can see why artists, you know, go crazy sometimes because you're always just sort of, you know, even when you're eating dinner with family or having sex with your wife, you're thinking about, should I put this word or this word? (laughs) I mean, you know, I'd never um, experienced that before, but, Mm -hmm. um, it took me to places that, um, that I'm really glad it did. It, it didn't feel always very good, particularly talking about my, my mom and, and her, mm-hmm. her passing, but it, it brought me closer to her in many ways and uh, brought, brought me closer to myself. Um, so, and, and when you were writing it, 
did you ever have moments, and I think I might know the answer, but, but I'd like to hear you say it. Did you ever, ever have moments where you found yourself caring about the outcome of where this book would land, whether or not it would sell a lot of copies or if people would give it critical acclaim? Or, or was it very much just a you and that book, and that was the relationship? Yeah. I mean, I am goal. Uh, generally, uh, I'm very goal orientated. I do I do things for a, a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this one, though, um, you know, I remember I remember going into um, like early on in, in research mode, just getting you know, my both my grandparents were alive at the time. Ralph Augustus McLean and Mitsue Sakamoto were both alive, so I um, went out and you know got a video camera and flew to, flew to Calgary and interviewed my grandpa for day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. Hmm. And same with my grandma. And I remember thinking at the end of that first burst of research, two weeks basically with either my grandma or my grandfather respectively from kind of 10 AM to sometimes 1 AM in the morning. Like we just talked and I mean, we'd take stop and breaks and, Mm -hmm they'd take a nap or whatever the case may be. But I really, we, it was marathonic. Hmm. Um, I remember thinking, you know, these are, these two weeks will be some of the most sacred nights of my life. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible what I was able to, um, just what that time meant to me. And, and, and ultimately I, you know, I also thought of my family, I was thinking a lot, not so much about like book sales, but just sort of, you know, this is this is the way that my my kids are going to know my grandparents, their great grandparents, and mm. and my brother's kids, and and even you know, in some ways, my parents knowing their parents better, and, and so it was very meaningful from from that perspective, and and everything else, and everything else being quite a bit, I su- I suppose, you know, I mean, CBC reads and number one and a movie deal and all that sort of stuff like it, but it's all really being kind of great, like amazing gravy, yeah, right. <laughs> but gravy, the, the, the bedrock of what I wanted to achieve there was, um, just to really commit their stories to paper, uh, for me and them and, and, um, and, and my family. And, and if you had to describe why people love your book, how would you describe it? Um, I think that in 2018, I remember asking my grandma in 2014 or 2013, no, sorry, 2012, even when I was doing the, the early research, um, most Japanese Canadians and, and actually most veterans as well, um, typically don't share their stories mm-hmm. very much. <clears throat> and, um, I asked my grandma, I remember sitting with her, um, drinking green tea and I, and, and I said, why are why am I hearing about some of these stories just for the first time today? And she said, she looked at me like cold in the eye and she said, because hate can come back. And she never wanted to give voice to the hate that she um, endured. Hmm. And I remember thinking in 2012 how, I mean, I kind of laughed. I mean, I, I, I wasn't laughing at my grandmother, but I was laughing at the notion that um, the kinds of um, ugliness that uh, ugly themes and ugly events um, that that I was writing about uh, in the 30s and 40s 
could come back. Right. It seems so implausible. It seems so implausible. And, and, you know, lo and behold, by 2018, you can almost not pick up, uh, uh, you know, a Globe and Mail or a New York Times or whatever the case may be and not see some echo of those themes. Yeah. And so I think that, I think that, um, while hopefully they think the writing is okay and, um, and that they learn a lot about, you know, sort of uh, uh, human dynamics in a in a in a interracial family. I think that the reason why one Canada reads and have has a, a, a miniseries attached to it is because it's it's become a bit of a well, it's become a, a warning siren. I think to to just how bad and how quickly things can go very badly. Right. If you let that hate um, win an inch. It takes a mile. And what do you think about that today when you do look at the world we live in? And, and without a doubt, I mean, you look at um, the leadership in so many countries uh, talking in ways that are so hatred, um, with, with, that are filled with so much hatred. Um, do, you, do you have a greater hope for the future because you've seen hatred um, transition from what it was in the 1930s to what it was, let's say, five or 10 years ago? Um, or do you find yourself seeing those moments in the past as being so vivid that, that you, you do kind of feel that same kind of fear that you, that your grandmother felt? Mm-hmm. Uh, at my core, I am very, very hopeful. And I, I think that that's, um, a very rational way to be. Mm-hmm. I think that we as humans, you know, our genetic code goes back to, and it's really powerful genetic stuff. Um, you know, we grew up in caves <laughs> right. and, you know, we are, we are designed to constantly search, um, for threats and, and to be fearful mm-hmm. and to, because, you know, because you never know when a saber tooth tiger was coming around the corner and eat you and your family. Right? right. So, so these are all very, very powerful forces in our, in our makeup, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, we have them and we are where we are today because of those great instincts. Mm-hmm. But the, the things in, I mean, if you just look like in the last 300 years, which is, you know, a blink in the eye, really, mm-hmm. you know, all of the things that most, hu- like the, the humanity for their entire existence have had to deal with, we've basically eradicated right. unless humans mess it up, right? Like, we're not worried about the Black Plague. Mm-hmm. We're not worried about massive wars or war being a, a thing that's always constantly happening. Like right. more, you know, uh, uh, you know. So like, there's there's all of these. Um, you know, we have more knowledge than ever. So like, I mean, to 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 look at the to follow the uh, trend line, not the headline. Yeah, I'm very I'm extremely hopeful, and I think that um, we are progressing. Now things can always go off the rails Mm -hmm. for some amount of time. And that amount of time can be a hundred years, you know, it could be be three decades. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so you really don't want that to happen. (laughs) Hopefully. Right. And and, and so, you know, I think that, I I think that, you know, you have to like, my book is called forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. That's not the, you, you remember um, what has happened and you remember why it happens. And, and, and so that sort of, you know, you don't want to give an inch to those forces that made those things happen. Right. Um, but that doesn't, but being, being, um, 
I think you're all you're watchful, but that doesn't mean you're uh, not hopeful. Right. Yeah. I think, and I think that you you hit the nail on the head when you say what the, the, the what's trending, right? And and if you look back at your life and you look back at history, um, we get it right more often than not. Uh, we've got it wrong a lot of times, yeah. and, and, and we've got a lot to be embarrassed by as a human species. But we've got, I believe, and I'm with you in this, is that more of a reason to look back and, and to see how, the time, how many times we got it right and, yeah. and, and, to, and to trust in that. Um, and, and so, so and I know we're coming to the end of our conversation yep. here, but I just want to just get a couple last thoughts on things. So, sure. you know, wh- where you stand here today, I mean, I didn't even know you, there was a, t- a TV or a movie deal with the, with the book, which by the way, congratulations, that's awesome. Um, and, and so, you know, here you are today and you're thinking about, uh, you've got this business and you've got this f- great family and you've got, you know, the great things going on with the book. And, and, and I know you've got probably another thousand projects on the go. When you look back at your life this this far, and and I'm hoping you got another hundred years on this planet, <laughs> but uh, you know what, what what would you say you're most proud of? Oh my goodness, uh, that's that, for sh- for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, you know these two little these two little daughters of mine. Mm. Uh, it's they are um, uh, they are they like like. I struggle sometimes to even talk about them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I know the feeling. Yeah, it's 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 an incredible thing to be able to create, um, uh, be a part of, uh, you know, the, their, their life and and um, and just watch them grow and uh, um, become the people that that they that they are. Um, does so, it, does the responsibility? Because uh, I know this is true for me. Does it ever scare you? Um, I, I remember when, <clears throat> when, um, Mia, our, our eldest was born, um, f- feeling, uh, in, in some part quite sad. And, and I was sad because, uh, my, my mom wasn't, uh, wasn't there because she had passed away previously. And I remember thinking, you know, um, this little soul, uh, uh my my heart is her emotional home for the next you know 20 years mm-hmm. longer but you know from a from a she's living with us and right. um and i remember thinking i really you know i really have to clean up some rooms in my heart because because it's 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 hers now and uh, so i felt weight um, I felt i i felt a weight that i'd never felt before but that's good i mean that weight is gr- gr- you know, really grounds you in um, what's important and, and 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 you know what you should be doing with your life. You know, well, it's a it's a wonderful and you're right. It is ultimately it's a wonderful feeling. And, and the one thing that really hit me um, was that for the first time in my life, um, and I hate to almost admit this out loud, but for the first time in my life, I really started caring for the children of planet Earth more than I ever had before. And yeah. I always had that intellectual um, connection to, yeah, okay, there's a starving child in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in Africa, and I would donate money or I would, I would, I would do what I could. I would, I would give a silent auction item for somebody's event. But um, all of a sudden, having, after having children, I was like, oh, shit, those are, those are on some weird kind of esoteric level, my children too now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I just, I was so grateful for it as, as much of as a weight as it is. It, it's a, it's a beautiful realization to have. 
Yeah, it's it's um, you know you, you, whether it's you know directly in your family or or you know the 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 world more more broadly, I think having uh, kids makes you realize that you sort of you are wading in a stream, you know, like there's this, there's water that's come before you and, and you're sort of the guardian of the stream now and there'll right. be others after you. And so you just want to make sure that you don't dirty up the water or maybe even make it cleaner. And, um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I think that that's for, that's for sure. Uh, you know, whether, whether you're thinking about it from just your own family's perspective or, or as you were saying, you know, um, extend it out further. Right. Absolutely. Well, Mark, I got to tell you, man, I really love this conversation, and, and it's one of those ones that you know it's a good conversation when you wish you had an extra couple of hours. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, thanks could, for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for and, having and me. When you talked about the stream there, we did, we didn't even get into global warming. Yeah, well, <laughs> that is the one thing that is very scary. That's for sure. Oh, tell me about it. That soon. I know, I know. It's funny. I always think it's amazing that people aren't even, um, you know, waking up each day going making that like the very first conversation at the breakfast table. But, uh, well, we'll, we'll have another podcast. We'll, we'll talk about the, um, the uplifting, uh, topic of us frying to death. (laughs) (laughs) How to avoid it. How to avoid That's right. That's right. Listen, man. Um, thank you so much for those who are listening, who want to, you know, get into your world is what's, what's the best place to point them? I'm I'm guessing there's going to be people who uh, are excited to get, to get your book and to read your book or um, whether it's the TV show coming out, like what do you, what do do you want people to know? Yeah, I think, um, you know, absolutely. If, if you can find a way to, to uh, go to the library or go to, you know, Indigo or whatever the case may be, that'd be great. If you pick up forgiveness, a gift from my grandparents, Watch for it uh, in the coming uh, little while on uh, on CBC. It'll be a four part mini series, um, and uh, yeah, I hope I hope it touches you in some way. Well, I have no doubt that it will, and uh, I appreciate you uh, writing that book. And, and on behalf of those who've already read it, I know that uh, there's a lot of people who have been really impacted by it. So. Uh, now you just have to write under ten books. It'll be easy. You have, <laughs> you've got, I'm sure you've got more than enough time. I'm on it. <laughs> well, listen, thanks so much for, uh, for being on the show. And um, for those of you who have been listening, definitely check out the book. And uh, definitely check out Mark on, uh, on all the social media uh, channels because he's got a hell of a life. And just, just to watch pictures of this guy on Instagram is, is, uh, is, it just makes, makes uh, your day that much more interesting. So thanks so much. And uh, we will have to have you on the show real soon. But until then, I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon, man. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number Thank you for tuning in to the Stuart Knight Show. We hope you've enjoyed this powerful conversation. People are fascinating, and so are you. And the right questions will prove it.